This is High School Not So Much a Musical, a podcast that takes you on a ride through the peaks and valleys of a high school journey. Here are your presenters, Nitin Jalodanki and Ayush Agarwal. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of High School Not So Much a Musical. Today we're joined by Mr. Tom Pike, who has been involved in the education sector heavily over the past couple decades. He's been involved as a counselor, as a, as a professor at colleges, and recently has launched his own startup called Jump Education. So Mr. Pike, if you could talk about your career in education over the past couple decades and give the listeners an understanding of what you've done, that'd be great. Thanks, Ayush. Um, first of all, thanks a lot for inviting me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, so basically I started in higher education about 20, year, 20 years ago. Um, prior to that, I actually was living near where you live. Um, I was living in San Francisco and was a member of the Pacific Stock Exchange and was an, uh, a market maker on the options floor. And so I did that for about 12 years until I was about 40. And at that point, I had made enough money and kind of matured to a point where I realized I wanted to kind of give back rather than just making money for myself and was had been continually interested in uh, psychology and mental health and my own kind of personal discovery uh, journey for most of my adult life. And so I decided I'd go back to get a master's degree in counseling psychology. And I went to uh, into New Hampshire to Antioch New England Graduate School and got a master's in counseling psychology. And I did some internships during that program. One of them was a year long internship at the University of New Hampshire. And I actually didn't think I was gonna maybe even like working in the higher education environment all that much. And I found actually that I loved it. And so I worked uh, as an intern there at the university and then they hired me afterwards um, as a full-time counselor. So I was providing mental health counseling uh, predominantly there, not teaching, uh, not doing any kind of career academic advising, but just focused on groups and individual uh, mental health um, services. And then my wife and I, uh, I, I also got married late in life. I didn't get married till I was like 42. And um, then we, we were living in Vermont. I was commuting, commuting to the university and we decided to move to Oregon to, I was from the West and wanted to raise our kids out here. We have two boys. And so when we moved out here, I noticed there was a community college in Southern Oregon near where we live and they were looking for a counselor. So I applied for that job. Actually, my wife kind of kicked me out of the house. She said, you know what, Tom? <laughs> I'd been fixing up our house for a couple of years and we bought a hundred year old house. So I love building things and fixing things. So I was working on the house and she was like, maybe you should go get a job. <laughs> so um, I applied for this counseling job at Rogue Community College and have been there for 13 years. Um, predominantly doing um, mental health counseling, but also doing um, some instruction. Every term I teach college success courses. I teach um, study skills for math success. Uh, and I also developed a course on my own uh, financial literacy for community college students. So I do some, some teaching like that. And I also provide career counseling and some academic advising during peak times during the term. So I've been doing that for 13 years and you know, it's kind of funny. I make like a tenth of the money I made at the options floor and I love my job 10 times more because um, I think it's also a stage of life thing. I think as I matured, I realized I 
you know, I wanted to give back and I wanted to help people and I love people and find everybody pretty fascinating. Um, so I've been doing that for 13 years and it's, it's been great. So I think, uh, I think we'll get in, in a little bit farther. I don't know if you have any questions about that at all at this point. Yeah. So one of the questions that I had was I'm, I usually are very, very into like finance and business and that side of things. So just before we quickly get into jump education, can you just talk about your experience with on the options floor and how exactly, and what exactly it is for anybody who doesn't know and just how exactly you went from the options floor to wanting to do education and get into the education sector. Absolutely, Nitin. Yeah, thanks for asking. The options floor, uh, when I was in college, I was, uh, I fell in love with geology, actually. I, I love um, the history of the earth and the fossil record and kind of everything geology oriented. So I was kind of studying that as my passion in college, but I'd also, um, you know, my parents said, hey, business is a pretty good, um, a pretty good well-rounded thing to be studying as well. And I'd done some, a lot of entrepreneurial stuff as a kid, buying and, and fixing up cars and selling them and uh, building furniture and boats and things. So I, I added business as a, as a major as well. And um, I did an internship when I was in college uh, on the Pacific Stock Exchange on the options trading floor uh, and actually kind of hated it. You know, it was, it was, I was young. Uh, the trading pit is a pretty, uh, it's safe to say it's a very competitive environment. And so there's a lot of kind of high emotion and a lot of people treating each other pretty poorly. Um, there's a lot of kind of manipulative behavior and psychologically, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty interesting place. And as a 20 year old in college, it was a little bit overwhelming uh, for me. And so I did a six month internship there. I learned a lot. I was basically kind of being what's called a, a, a clerk for, a, for a, a broker in the pit. So I was, you know, just providing a broker in the pit kind of support services. And, um, but then I thought, you know, I'm never gonna do that again. That was ridiculously hard. And, um, but then a few years later when I graduated college, I, I actually was a geologist for a couple of years. I, traveled around the world a bit and worked on um, some interesting geological projects. And uh, I realized over time that I really wanted to um, basically become a farmer. It's kind of a weird uh, transformation, but from studying soil sciences and geology, I got really interested in, in soils and in organic agriculture, but I didn't have any money to buy a farm. And I didn't come from a family with money. My, my parents were teachers and most of my siblings have been teachers as well. Um, so the only place I could think about making enough money to buy a farm would be the options trading pit. So I, um, I had introduced my brother who's a year older than me into that environment. And he had made his way for the previous five years and, and become a very successful trader. So I, got, I went down there and worked as a broker. So in a trading pit, you have the liquidity is provided by the market makers. Um, most of them at that time were independent individuals um, and they would, you know, um, basically create the, the buying and selling prices for thousands of series of options. And the brokers are the ones who uh, represent public uh, and institutional orders in the pit. So I was a broker for a year to understand how the pit dynamics work and how 
the vocal outcry system works where you yell and scream, you know, prices and series of options and communicate in this kind of cryptic way. I learned the trading game as a broker working for a company representing public clients. And then once I got the pit dynamics down, I, um, I became a market maker and that's kind of where the real money's at, where you're trading for your own account. And at, you know, at that time you could, and it probably is, I mean, the, the trading game has, has changed over the years because of computerized trading and things. But back then you could, you know, say put 25 or $50,000 in your account and your clearing firm, which is sort of a bank in, in sorts, would allow you to leverage that to, you know, 10, 20, $30 million. So there was extreme leverage available. And um, so the trading pit, basically my advantage down there was I and my brother just happened to be kind of physiologically very quick to respond to people's outcries. So if I'm a market maker in the pit and a broker walks into the pit, there's maybe 50 or hundred market makers in any certain pit. A broker walks in representing an institution or a public client and they say, you know, maybe they want to buy or sell, you know, um, some Microsoft put or calls. They say kind of a, a, you know, they'll say, how are the Microsoft 20, you know, puts and then whoever responds fastest and loudest with the best market, with the best prices, um, the broker is trained to identify, you know, it's kind of funny, 50 people yelling at them. Um, they have to pick the broker picks out which three people were first and he and he goes to the first person and says i have a thousand of these puts to buy and that person gets to choose how large of the order he wants to do so my brother and i were oftentimes first in the pit so we um that was our advantage and we were very good with it's pretty elementary math you know the the options pricing is all done with calculus um but the in the pit it's just a lot of quick fractional math, multiplying, dividing in your head that allows you to be really quick and make fast decisions. So it's a little bit confusing to explain. I, I don't know, you know, what your questions might be, but I, I was a market maker and, and um, provided liquidity in options trading pits in that way. That's, that's really interesting, especially considering that a lot of kids in our school are really interested into investing stocks, stuff like that. Like for example, uh, Nathan and I, uh, along with a few other people are, are participating in the Wharton Youth Global Investment Competition, which is some uh, elaborate competition held by University of Pennsylvania every year where you are essentially given a case study on specific investments and um, on specific investments that this person wants to make and they're give that they give you a list of goals that that person wants to achieve and you have to make the most strategic investments to accomplish that person's goal and then draft up like an 11 page report on why uh your strategy is you know unique compared to other investment strategies that other teams may have taught us taught thought of excuse me um wow. so if you could talk a little bit about you know, the importance of learning these types of things and specifically like how the education system can sometimes ignore that, right? Because the education system focuses a lot on preparing you for the workplace and getting a job, but it kind of ignores the other half of 
the equation, which is uh, essentially figuring out after you make the money from the job, what is the best way that you can either save it, put it in a bank, uh, invest it into real estate, stocks, crypto, et cetera. And, and overall, just utilize that money in a way that gets you the best long-term profit. So if you could talk a little bit about, you know, should education, should the educational system include more of these types of life skills, like filing your taxes, making investments, stock market, et cetera. And uh, how, how that can be accomplished. How, how can we prepare children in the future to be ready to make these types of personal finance decisions? Right. Thanks, Ayush. Those are important questions. And first of all, that Wharton Youth Global Investing Competition sounds fascinating. Um, and what a great way to kind of learn about investing strategies and how to how to really capitalize on on you know systems in place and trends. And right now, you know, when I go on walks with friends, I have friends that are you know highly involved in finance and. Um, and we're always just thinking like, you know, the, the rules of investing seem to have sort of gone out the window um, with the with the just vast uh, expansion in, in wealth that's been created in the last 10 years through things like crypto. Um, you know, the old kind of Warren Buffett's of our world who were value investors and, and became super rich. Um, you know, it's, it seems like in a sense, value investing and the fundamentals of investing in that way are, are somehow irrelevant, you know, and we keep thinking that, well, you know, there has to be a correction, but we're also looking at an environment right now where there's so much, uh, wealth that's been created that is chasing, uh, you know, for the most part of a limited, uh, pool of resources that you know, it's what we're looking at is really just a hyperinflationary environment that's that all assets are, are going up and it's hard to figure out how to value things. So I kind of it's interesting. I don't know what I would do in the in the youth global investing competition as far as figuring out, you know, sound investing strategies. So um, but as far as education goes and and the lack of really financial literacy education in high school and and certainly community college where I teach um, and how that it does do a disservice to to our youth um, that's an that's an important thing to address I'm not sure you know it's interesting because like my college that I work at asked me knowing that I had a financial background to create a uh, a course on financial literacy because there wasn't one at our school and I, I honestly thought, you know, not many people are going to sign up for that. And so I said, sure, I'll, I'll create that course. But I kind of waited to see if people would sign up before I'm going to spend hours and hours developing curriculum. And it took a term or two of advertising um, before anybody really signed up. And then people started signing up and then it became quite popular. And so what I noticed were people in those courses um, knew nothing about financial literacy for the most part and kept saying like that's one of the most important things that they were learning um because you're right if you're taught in school how to make your way in the world as far as your career but then you're not taught about you know the basics of financial literacy and investing it, you're kind of at a at a deficit um so 
I think schools are, I don't know, like you go to school at, at a, it sounds like a super unique, interesting, um, basic independent school there in Silicon Valley. Do they have, it sounds like they have financial literacy opportunities for you. Is that true? Definitely. Yeah. So we have the, we, we actually have uh, a lot at our school and we're quite grateful for it because it obviously exposes us to these things early. So I talked about the investment club uh, where like every week we learn about some new aspect of stocks. So we learn about, you know, evaluations, different ratios, how to analyze like specific financials in the stock, how to, uh, how to use like the graph to project the stocks, like long-term trajectory. Um, and then Nithin and Rishi are part of another club called DECA. So that's more of a business oriented club, but they do have a lot of aspects of personal finance embedded into it. Um, for example, I can DECA also like has, an example. Yeah. Yeah. So just to like capitalize on the DECA front. So DECA is probably one of the largest clubs at our school with over like I would say 85 students competing and essentially the opportunities are endless in DECA because in every single cluster that they have like six different clusters ranging from marketing to personal finance to entrepreneurship to business management there's just so many different types of clusters but each of those individual clusters has a lot to do with personal finance as a whole because I can give you one example when I was doing a practice role play with one of the mentors in the club the situation that they gave us was how do how will the sports drink company finance their expansion into Europe? But that was a marketing role play. So having so this all this like DECA and everything that we do kind of fosters that personal finance mindset. It's a very, very important one, because in one of the past podcasts, we actually talked with an investment advisor and he said that learning not, not many schools have the opportunity to learn about not many students have the opportunity to learn about personal finance. It's very, very important because once you get into the real world, you're working with real money and you don't, you won't have the time to develop those skills at that point. So that was just a quick way or a long way of saying, yeah, personal finance is very, very prevalent in our school at the moment. Yeah, you guys are lucky. I, as you, as you, as you said, you feel lucky for that. It is lucky. Um, and you're right. I mean, you make a really good point when you, when you get out of school and you, you might have a, a, you know, you might be married and have kids and a full-time job. You don't have as much time on your plate to, to jump off into personal finance and things like that. So now's the time to be learning that for sure. Um, I was fortunate. I didn't have it. I went to public schools in California that aren't known for being, you know, anything worth writing home about. Um, but my dad also was an educator, but he was very involved with with business and uh, financial newsletters. So I was lucky in that um, I read a lot of financial newsletters from like age 12 on and kind of got introduced to um, the stock market and precious metals and, you know, business in general. So I kind of got it through him, but a lot of kids don't get it at all. So um, one of the things with Jump Education that we can get into later, this startup I'm creating is, um, we we plan on having a, a very robust kind of financial literacy um, kind of educational piece embedded in the curriculum that we offer. So uh, I, I think a lot of parents see the value in that, and yet a lot of schools aren't providing it. Um, unless you're going to like a really nice, you know, private school like you guys are, then you then you get it sounds like you're getting that, uh, you know, really good exposure in it, which is fantastic. Um, 
So, but the education system, I'm not sure, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing in public education anyway, with, with budget constraints and standardized testing, the curriculum focus over the last few decades ha has narrowed dramatically. And um, certainly um, the kind of extracurricular topics. Um, and I think, you know, regrettably financial literacy would probably be in there as well. Um, have gone to the wayside. So it's up to, you know, families to be teaching their kids that. It's up to independent organizations like Jump Education to be doing it. Some schools are doing it. You know, the course that I created at the Rogue Community College has been taken um, by a, a TRIO program, which is a federally funded program at our school. One of my friends runs that program and has an MBA. And so I gave him all my curriculum. I'm taking a, a year sabbatical right now. and. Um, but I, I gave him my curriculum about five years ago, and he kind of took that course over and really built it into a, a, a good course for this school. So it's a, it's a, you know, there's a lot of things in our educational system that are lacking, and that's certainly one of them. Thank you, Mr. Pike, for your awesome thoughts on how the education system can be improved to in, utilize and incorporate more subjects that apply directly to a student's life in the future. Make, for our listeners, make sure to check out our future episodes with Mr. Pike, which will be released next Friday and the Friday after that as well, as this is the first part of a three-part series. Thank you, everyone, and see you next time. High School Not So Much a Musical is hosted by Ayush Agarwal and Nitin Jaladanki. Narration by Samhit Padala. Music from Louis Luang Relaxation Cafe, Tune Pocket, and Infraction. If you like the show, please recommend it to your friends and family. Thank you for listening, and see you next time.